Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. There was a, quite a few of you who wanted to speak at the break, so apologies for not being able to speak at the break. Um, I didn't have much breakfast, and I needed to get... What is this again? Or, orange... Turmeric something. Carrot, celery, apple, turmeric, ginger. Thank you. It was recommended. Isn't it amazing that you can walk out the door and within one block, you can have anything you want? No, we do every day. Anything you want. I mean, if you wanted, I don't know, like... You can't have silence. You can't have silence? No, I'm talking about food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can just you can have any anything in this neighborhood. It's it's, it's kind of amazing. Do you not have a corner shop? Where I live, <laughs> actually, where I live, there isn't even a corner. <laughs> I live on an island with three stop signs. Where do you go for food? My backyard, uh-huh. or the ocean. Nice. How can trauma be healed? First of all, the systems that created the trauma are so deeply ingrained in us now that they're really hard to see. But it's only the systems that were created after the event that need to be healed. So remember that. The event has happened. It's only the systems after the event that need to be healed. So we feel the symptoms, insecurity, meaninglessness, strange eating patterns, rage, somatic symptoms, feeling stuck at work, not knowing what to do with our lives, or sabotaging relationships. Nowadays, um, and and I'm speaking very specifically here about the UK, um, there's an obsession with CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and other forms of short-term therapy. um, Because they're cheap, relatively speaking. Um, They're less expensive for governments and insurance companies. And um, it's a good try. It's a good try. But 
they're not deep enough. And when it comes to trauma, they don't go deep enough. Because underlying trauma is deeper than cognition. And it's deeper than thinking. It's deeper than the mind of language. The other thing that doesn't go very far is um, trying to, from a conscious perspective, reconcile with the event that's happened. Um, we tend to blame the person who caused the wound or go after them for retribution or go sue them. You see people in car accidents manifest this, you know. They go sue the person who, you know, they go sue the drunk driver. And they think that when that court case is done, the symptoms will go away and there will be some kind of uh, conclusion. Never mind, but going to court in and of itself is so emotionally draining and stressful that everybody loses. Everybody loses. On the way here this morning, I was a little bit late because uh, a plumbing truck was making a turn and hit a cyclist. And the cyclist was fine. He just fell off his bike and he was fine. And he was also like a London cyclist, so he was like so well-dressed and handsome. And that was <laughs> interesting. Like he fell off his bike and he got up and he just looked so good. <laughs> but his, his wheel was all bent out of shape. And um, because I grew up in Toronto and grew up cycling and, and not in a car, my immediate affection was for the cyclist, you know, and like, fuck the car, and like another car hitting, you know, the whole thing, right? And then um, you could see the cyclist really upset and kind of shaken. And then the, the, tr the guy in the, in the truck, he pulled over, parked the van, came out and was really upset that this had happened. And you could see in the interaction that both of them were hurt by this. It was an accident. Mm -hmm. Both of them were upset. And anyways, it was taking a long, long time. Eventually what happened was the truck driver went back to his truck and opened up the back doors and helped the guy into the back. Help, helped him put his bike into the back and was driving the guy to work. And they were both like, fine. Now, of course, it could have ended in all kinds of more tragic ways. So maybe you hit a dry, uh, uh, maybe you hit a bicyclist, and then the bicyclist sues them, thinking that when they get justice, you know, like like it's going to bring some justice and deep healing of their heart. Um, but remember that the ending of that court case can't change the internal systems that were in reaction to the trauma. It can't reconfigure that. In the same way that uh, short-term cognitive-based therapy can't solve something that's happening at a deeper level than just cognition. And you can see here where we're getting towards meditative practice, I hope. 
So I think it takes a lot of courage. Do you want to shut the window again? I think it takes a lot of courage to know that ultimately the, the trouble in our lives is not created by the situations that have happened to us, but by the systems we've created around those events. What, what's come up in the wake of those events? Cognitive awareness is a start. Being able to name what's happening for you. Being able to have a category for your emotions. Being able to say, this is sadness. This is sabotage. This is an eating disorder. Like, like, like pathology, pathological language is very helpful here. To be able to name something and say, this is what's happening for me. You should know what's happening for you. That's a start. That's a start. And to slowly get to know what you're carrying inside your feelings. The somatic element of, of, of what you know. And then new ways to relate to what you're feeling. And ultimately, we need to become more open to the original traumatizing pain. Ultimately. We've evolved to get out of pain, but at the root of trauma is a root pain. And as long as we remain frightened of that pain, it keeps traumatizing us. Capital P. Could be both. But it's probably felt as a capital P pain that's psychophysical. Like, like think about think about a time, just like separate this from trauma. Just to understand how I'm using the term pain. Like think about a time. Has anyone here ever been dumped? <laughs> Do you have that here? <laughs> so think about a time where someone said to you, I don't want to continue our relationship anymore. Okay? And we would say, that's an emotional wound. That's emotional pain. But what does it feel like in your body for the next week? <laughs> what does it feel like? What are some of the sensations in your body? <clears throat> Your throat, nausea. nausea. Does anybody feel like something like this been like taken out of you? You, know? you feel physical. Physical. You feel like physical heartache. Physical heartache. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like when we say pain, it's emotional and physical, all together. Don't separate those things. Um, yes. I just I was watching TV a couple of nights ago yeah. and there's a, a someone doing research on heart attacks I think yeah. in Aberdeen and she's discovered that seven percent of heart attacks are caused by broken heart. By broken heart, heart syndrome mm -hmm. they call it. Uh -huh. yeah? And it's a natural thing that if your yeah. heart's been broken emotionally, you may have a heart attack or oh, a yeah. heart disease. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now medically recognised. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
Yeah. That, that actually happened to my dad. Yeah. Um, it ends with a good, it has a good ending, but uh, my parents got divorced and then they remarried two years later. But when they did, when they got divorced, my dad's um, aorta burst completely in half, right underneath his heart. Because he, he was heartbroken, he was really devastated. Hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, but it ended well, and he got back and everything, so oh. it was fine. And then they remarried. Oh, <laughs> but, that's um, better than Downton Abbey. <laughs> is, he is he coming on Sunday? Unfortunately, he, he, he passed two oh. years ago. So, yeah. but this was way back. This was about sixteen years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and and then they stayed. Apart. So all in all, they were together for thirty years. We don't really count wow. the, the, <laughs> the two years. But um, he was heartbroken, and he had lots of trouble with his heart during that time. And, uh, but yeah, we know, we know this, but the medical profession is catching yeah. up. Exactly, yeah. So, um, we need to reconnect to what's been dissociated. And that's frightening. Because our fear system was designed to avoid pain, which is why we're scared. And we become really driven by this never again mentality that prevents us from reconnecting with what we're perceiving now as dangerous. But the paradox is that staying away from that pain sabotages healing. So we need to challenge the power of that internal survival system. We need to challenge the momentum of that internal survival system. So let's sum up. First of all, um, equally critical to healing trauma is healing shame and healing fear, and healing dissociation. And the core of our shame, and the core of dissociation, and the core of fear, is in our emotional body, not in cognition. The, the, the core of shame, and the core of fear, is our, in our emotional brain our emotional body, not in cognitive awareness. Do you want me to say it one more time? Yeah. The core of shame is in our emotional brain, our emotional body, not in cognitive awareness. That's why we need long-term therapy, long-term relationships, and practices that still the body, that work underneath language, and maybe a combination of all of these. You can't heal trauma by yourself. 
We need help. And you need to find the right help as well. You need to. You could be searching for years for the right psychotherapist or, you know. Yep. Yeah. Um, in Buddhist teachings, there are three treasures the Buddha, which is trusting your capacity to be awake, the Dharma, which is the practice and the teaching, and the Sangha, which is community. And if I was young and was going to do a PhD, I think this would be a really cool PhD, is how these three treasures could heal trauma. Our capacity, trusting that you can wake up. That's the courage, right, of like meeting that pain. The Dharma, like actually having teachings and practices. And the Sangha, a community. Because let's face it, there's lots of people who can't afford to do long-term therapy. But long-term relationship is really healing. Even if because of your trauma, and maybe you've chosen someone else who has trauma as well. Uh -huh. So the relationship is healing, even though you're both traumatized. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about long-term relationship that's safe and trustworthy. Not a re-traumatizing relationship. <laughs> <clears throat> so that we're engaging in a healing relationship, an intention to have a healing relationship. And that has consequences. To help other people who have deep wounds, you need to be able to be working with your own deep woundedness. If you're gonna teach Chinese, you need to study with a teacher who speaks Chinese. You might be sitting here thinking, this is all terrible. <laughs> or, are we just making this up? Like, are we just in a phase where we're making trauma really precious? Are we making too much about a trauma? But there's lots of uh, anthropological studies about trauma in indigenous cultures. Because in a culture, imagine a culture growing up in a desert. The mother's attunement to the child is life or death. A mother might even choose their favorite child, the one who's going to survive, most likely. So the kids develop a radar, whether they're the favorite child or not. For that kid, to develop that radar biologically, it's life or death for that kid. They know that they need to develop a relationship with the mother where they're the favorite one. And all these dynamics start coming into play. So we're involved in a practice that is a spiritual practice, a practice of waking up, a practice of freedom, a practice of liberation. And the Buddha teaches that that practice begins by opening to suffering. You can't change the past. Your scars will always be part of you. 
and whatever's happened to you in the past, um, and whatever scars are part of you, might not always be able to be healed. You know, like the Enso in Zen, the one stroke, one breath circle you see sometimes in Zen calligraphy? Usually, the circle's not closed. It's not perfect. Um, even when you have fear, and even when you have shame, and even when you're wounded, you can still be in relationships that are meaningful. What we can learn to do in meditation practice is to open to what Trungpa Rinpoche calls the raw spot. And to heal trauma, we need to find ways of slowly touching, getting close to, knowing, moving with, being open to our raw spots. Now imagine our society for a minute and think about all the people who've been traumatized. And think about how our culture works. And how much work we have to do in schools, in yoga centers, to create safe environments for people to heal their woundedness. Or are we just creating environments for people to avoid this and work on their perfection and their competitiveness and their ambition and their isolation? There was a Zen master named Hakun, and he was famous for this line where he said, this very body is Buddha. This very body, right now, is Buddha. What's his name? Hakuin. This very body is Buddha. So, imagine, imagine that it, it's time for you to sit still. You wake up in the morning, you get on your cushion, and you start sitting. What shows up? All the scars, all your habits. All your habits show up. So, one of the ways I think about meditation sometimes is a process of learning how to soothe yourself when some of these wounds start to show up. That's why when people say to me, you know, I'm trying to sit, but I can't sit, you know, off and on. At some level, you know, I need to find a way to skillfully encourage them to get underneath what they're thinking is what's hap what they're thinking about around meditation and actually sit in the middle of what's happening and sue themselves in it. Because otherwise you're like sitting 
but you're up here deciding about what you think about meditation. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I like it, I don't like it, it's kind of not for me. When this course is done, I'm done. And again, this is one of the cool things about retreat, is because there's so many people sitting together in a room, bell rings, we're following a schedule, the container holds you to keep staying in the schedule. In Zen, we say the most important thing about practice is the schedule. And because we keep staying in that and we have all this support, and it's not support like you don't know the person beside you, but just that we're all sitting helps healing in a really deep way. And it's cheaper than therapy. So, so let me just finish this point. So, so when you're sitting, it's really important that you're understanding that these techniques, thinking, thinking, come back into this moment, feeling how you're breathing, oh, unpleasantness, and, and you just keep going, that process is healing a lot of these deep wounds. But it's healing at a level we're not used to because the mind like, isn't like understanding it all the time. Do you understand what I mean by that? Oh, fear. Oh, this is what fear feels like. And if, if you weren't in the meditative posture, maybe you wouldn't recognize the fear and your reaction to the fear and you just act on it. Or like you're feeling badly about yourself, you're walking down the road, so you just pop into a store and get a new pair of shoes. You know? Or you say, oh, I'm gonna, I, I can sit with this now. Like, I know what it feels like to feel this feeling. And, and, and you learn how to soothe yourself. And other people do it with you. Other people are doing it with you. You know, you were talking about sitting in the park with people. I have this friend um, who, who lives in a small town in Ontario. And uh, she's been taking... She, she started doing park yoga where she invites people to the park to do yoga, but people haven't been coming. So she's been putting on her Instagram photos of the park, saying, oh, no one showed up again. And then she'd take a picture of it. <laughs> and every week it's like a photo of the park with nobody there. <laughs> What's that? Not yet. Not according to <laughs> But I can't stress this enough. Can't do this by yourself. We need the trust in the Buddha, this capacity to know that this body is Buddha, that this body is awake, and this body can continually wake up. We need practices and teachings. And we need community. We need other people. Can't wake up by yourself. There is no by yourself. There's no by yourself. 
Especially if there's been dissociation. Mm -hmm. So it can be very strong meditation. Yeah. 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 That's a good point, Philippe. But I mean, you said two things. So the the second thing was that um, the two. The first thing you talked about was um, everything being relationship and healing yourself to be in relationship. And the second thing you mentioned was around. um, Yeah, this this way of like, 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 what do you need? This question of like, what do you need to do before you can get to the body? Um, it's interesting because if you ever go to a monastery, this is one of the things that I found really interesting. Being in a monastery is, um, you know, what they do most of the time? They work and clean. They clean. <laughs> they clean and they work. Like most of the time, that's what you're doing. Cleaning and working. The sitting is kind of secondary, actually. Except there's times of the year where you just focus on sitting. You know, maybe you'll do like 10 days of like just sitting and walking meditation. But most of the time, you're cooking and gardening and cleaning and working, building things and like in your body. You know? So there's a balance there, you know, that maybe we forget a little bit sometimes. So, yes, we need to be in the body. And maybe sometimes if sitting is too much, we'll give people other work to do. You should do prostrations, also known as sun salutations. Hundreds of them. Um, But back to the first thing you said, that you, you have to heal yourself to be in relationship. I'm not certain about that. Like, I don't think you have to heal yourself to then be in relationship. I think they go together. Like, like the deeper you enter relationship, the more you have to heal yourself. <coughs> yeah, it's like relationships just are asking so much of us all the time. Like if, we, if we're treating relationship as a path, as a spiritual path, it's like it's always asking us to keep waking up And so you have to do your work to do that. What's the work? Reducing reactivity. (laughs) Opening to what's happening. Communicating. Letting go of fear or recognizing fear. And then it calls us deeper into the relationship. So, I mean, we talked about yesterday about the Zen way is non-duality. So we don't make a duality between inner work 
and relationship. They go together. I remember when, when my elder son's uh, mother and I split up. Um, I have three kids, and my oldest son is from a previous relationship. If you read this book, Family Wakes Us Up. This is what the book's about. It's an amazing book. You should get this book. I brought more today, by the way. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, when that relationship ended, I, I remember saying to myself, like, I am never getting into another relationship again. <laughs> and then when Karina and I met and we started getting together, this is so embarrassing, but one day, we, or very early on, we sat down and I said, let's make like a list of some like rules. <laughs> you know? And you know what was at the beginning of the rule? First thing was like, it's really important that you know that I don't want to have any more kids. I'm like, done. And she was like, that's fine, you know, I don't want to have kids either. And then two years later, we moved in together. We were like, let's have kids. <laughs> but sometimes we have these reactions, like we have a failed relationship, and immediately, like, we're never doing that again. But actually, to heal that relationship, you need to be in relationship. And when I say relationship, I keep talking about these kind of, like, you know, relationship with one person. I don't just mean that. I mean, like, generally, friendships, colleagues, like to be in relationship with people and different kinds of relationship. Some people don't have a singular relationship with a romantic partner, that's fine. But you have lots of other relationships. Use them as practice. It doesn't have to be with one person. It doesn't have to be a, a monogamous, you know, Hollywood relationship. Just a relationship with other people as a path can really heal our woundedness. You know, at the end of his life, Freud moved from Vienna to London after the war. And um, he did some really interesting writing at that time. And one of the things he wrote a lot about was how in the therapeutic in, in, in therapy, the thing that's most healing is not the technique, but the relationship. Yeah. And this is true. Like, if you went and asked people who've ever been in counseling, like, what kind of counseling their therapist did, they probably couldn't tell you. But they could tell you if the relationship worked or not. So, um, let's take a few minutes for questions, and then we're going to do a little group discussion and then lunch time. Mm. And we're going to break this down even more because we're going to talk about what does this mean for meditation practice? What does this mean for our teaching? What does this mean for the environment that we create for people? How do we be sensitive to people who might be traumatized? How do we be sensitive to a group where we might even not even know who's in the room? Um, we're going to pay attention to all those things. So, any questions or comments? Uh, in relation to that, what you're saying.